Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Welcome to Down With D&D. This is Sean Merwin, and I'm joined by my amazing and talented new co-host, Teos Abadea. Uh, what's the happenings, Teos? Ah, Sean, it is a pleasure to be here. It's a lovely day. We're starting out our week with some D&D. That's good. And That's good. It's happy Gary yeah. Gygax Day. See, well, why is it Guy- Gary Gygax Day? Uh, I think they chose the date. Is, is it his birthday? I, I don't think it is. I could be. Okay. I could make it there. I don't know. We, we well, my, my birthday. My birthday is in two days. Hey. Uh, or the day after, uh, day before this show uh, drops. So happy birthday to me! No, it is uh, his birthday. Okay. July twenty seventh. I, I, I am not surprised that Gary Gygax was a Leo, um, by any point. stretch of the imagination. If you are into those astrological things, uh, but yeah, it's it's about ninety degrees here 100 in the in the sun and humidity that i didn't think it could be over 100 percent humidity but i swear it is so i've got 17 fans blowing on me at, at this point so if you hear a gentle wind blowing when i speak that's uh i'm not outside i am actually in my house <laughs> you have a point of exhaustion yes pretty much but on the news of it being Gary Gygax Day, let's, uh, let's get into some D&D stuff. So just moments ago, it was announced that Wizards of the Coast would be releasing a product called Curse of Strahd Revamped. So this is a re-release of uh, the Curse of Strahd adventure that was released four or five years ago. Uh, similar to the re-release of the uh, Tyranny of Dragons, they did, you know, some changes to the adventure, but this goes a little bit further. Do you want to talk about that for a second, Teos? Yeah. So there's a video. It's currently IGN exclusive interview with Chris Perkins, where they show off pictures of the actual product. It's a pretty good video. It does a nice job of, of discussing what it is. It comes in a coffin-shaped box. I mean, yeah. I don't know how that fits on a shelf, but it sure looks awesome. Uh, great store packaging. Uh, I'm curious whether this is going to be available in places like Target or something because it's a really distinctive looking box. Um, mm-hmm. So you get the the kind of everything you would in Curse of Strahd, but then it breaks it down into a bunch of different books, right? So you've got uh, the monsters are all in a separate book. The Taroka deck is a physical sort of, I think, more nicely done version, larger cards, I think it looked like. And then you have mm-hmm. its own book for it. What else am I missing, Sean? Uh, they, the adventure, uh, Chris Perkins said they, uh, added some errata to it as well as making changes to the Vistani, uh, because the real world connection between the Vistani and certain, uh, ethnic groups, uh, in, in the world were a, were problematic. And so they, uh, Wizards of the Coast realized this. So they, they went back and they made those changes since they had that opportunity here. Which, which I think is, you know, goes along with their saying of we're going to do our best. And here's just one more step in that process. And Chris also talked about how they changed uh, Esmeralda's uh, text around Esmeralda because she has a prosthetic leg. Um, mm-hmm. And in the original, it says that she's is kind of ashamed of it and hides it. And so they've, they've yeah. changed how that is because that did not, for obvious reasons, resonate well with, with audiences 
that are, understand those issues uh, and what disabled people face and how representation is important. So yeah, that's neat that they're making those changes. It's well done. Um, yep. You know, you can't get a new fix to everybody's hands, but when you either do a new printing or a new edition like this, a new version, then that's a, a way to modernize it as well. Yep. So with the box set, you also get a handouts. So the handouts that were actually bound in the book that you can't tear out and hand to your players because they're in a hardcover book are now loose. So you can hand them to players. There's a DM screen and a poster map. The poster map has the full of Castle Ravenloft on one side and the land of Barovia, including breakout sections for some of the towns or sites uh, on the other side of the map. And they also said there was a very special surprise in the box that they're not going to talk about. So I know what that is. We'll have to. Do you? <laughs> yeah. It's stats for okay. a vampiric flump. It's obvious. Okay. Okay. So that would not be a, a, well, that would be a surprise. <laughs> I don't know how special it would be, but no vampiric flumps. Uh, That's your price tag right adventure. there. That's right. And speaking of price tag, it is a $99 box which will be released on the 20th of October of this year. Uh, so the first thing I thought, the first thing that probably Teos thought was, hmm, Beetle and Grimm does something similar. <laughs> um, they usually add more uh, more things that aren't part of the adventure, yeah. more props, uh, more. And they obviously release them right along with the adventure the first time. But this kind of does step into that territory a bit. Uh, so it was interesting that, that Wizards of the Coast chose to do that. Yeah, this is a lower price point, and I think a lot of it's sort of in just breaking things out. But that's something that Beetle and Grimm has done. They've taken the, the adventures that they've released in a premium version, and they've broken out uh, things, adventures into sections so that you can kind of run a little bit at a time and the content's not overwhelming. You're not flipping through as much. So it looks like they took a page out of that book and separated things out. Uh, having you know some extra maps and, and handouts, uh, postcards for inviting players to the first session. You know that's the kind of thing that Beetle and Grimms has been doing, and that, that that has been really well received for people about it. And I, you know when I was a guest a few sessions ago, we talked about Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, and today Beetle and Grimms said that they are 75% sold out in those. Right, so really high price tag. I mean, it's 99 bucks for the special Curse of Strahd revamp, but. Their uh, special edition for Rhyme is, I think, 500. So, right. you know, there is certainly a market for this. Uh, they said in the video, Chris Perkins said it, that, that this was uh, a, a trial and they would do more in the same vein. Mm -hmm. I see done, Chris. Yeah. Yes. So. And, and it's, you know, I see that it's 75% sold out, the uh, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden special edition from Beetle and Grimm. And that's in you know a, a downward spiraling economy. That's in a place where people are having a hard time to get together, and they're still seventy five percent sold out. Yeah. Two months, a uh, month and a half ahead of the release of of the book. Yeah. So that's point. I mean that's a, that's an amazing stat. That yeah. obviously things are still going strong, especially uh, for those special premium boxes yeah well and I, we could talk for hours about what the economy may or may not be doing gaming wise i'm, I'm mm -hmm. super curious about that and we just don't have enough data points but but this is one yeah. and in this case this is very positive that it's doing well yep it is and uh speaking of gaming gen con online starts today if this show drops on thursday july 30th as i'm expecting it will uh gen con online will have begun 
uh, for you D&D fans, especially if you play Adventures League, Bald Man Games is offering a slew of D&D events. Whether you're new to D&D, new to Adventures League, or an old hat, you can uh, get your game on at uh, Gen Con Online. And I know that Teos, after the experiment of running some Spanish language games for D&D Live, it's been stepped up a bit to try to run some more tables, um, Spanish-speaking tables for yeah. Bald Man Games and the Adventures League. Yeah, and even some in Portuguese. Uh, there are spaces. I think, you know, one thing that we're, we're realizing is that uh, D&D Live was free. This costs. Mm-hmm. And there is a big disparity in what a dollar means between a place like the U.S. and Europe and Latin America. Um, mm-hmm. You know, teacher salary can be 6000 in the country that I grew up in. So a $10 game, a $5 game, you know, that can be a lot. So I think we're, we're going to have to find ways to get more people to show up. There are some tables that are going to go off, but we could use more players. Uh, so folks who live in this, who are listening to podcasts and want to play in Spanish, your Spanish does not have to be perfect to play. Um, come and have fun. Uh, but otherwise, we're going to have to certainly work on, on growing that in other ways. And I've had some conversations going on uh, with both Wizards and Gen Con to try to do that for future years as well. Nice. So it'll be interesting to see how this uh, Gen Con Online goes in general, because obviously other things other than D&D are, will be going on. Um, are you going to play any other games? Yeah, I'm playing some of the Moonshade Isles adventures that Baldwin Games offers. I'm playing a new Numenera game. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to check out 13th Age has a monster creation uh, seminar um, that I, I think I have a conflict, but if, if I can't watch it live, I'm going to for sure watch it later because those are great sessions. And I love how those monsters work. Nice. Yeah. So it'll be interesting what attendance is like and, and what the numbers look like after all that's over. We'll see if we get any of that thing, any of that released publicly. And last but not least, uh, another big announcement about games from Hasbro. They announced that a new D&D board game for D&D beginners would be released called Dungeons and Dragons Adventure Begins. Uh, this is coming also in October of 2020. And like I said, it's being published by Hasbro, not by Wizards of the Coast, not by Avalon Hill, but by Hasbro. So that that right there is a little bit different. It's fascinating. Uh, Things, yeah, the, the things we've seen in the past. We've got a couple of links up in the show notes for where that product is being pre-sold or pre-order. Um, and basically, it sounds like s- something that has been tried in previous editions, which is introduce players to D&D via a board game vehicle that is slightly easier to understand than the full game. So it's a cooperative board game for ages 10 and up. It's called a fun, fast entry into the world of D&D, designed for new fans. You can choose a character and journey through the lands of Neverwinter. Okay, well, at least we've got that going. If only we had someone here who knew anything about Everwinter. Uh, (laughs) uh, So they'll work together to battle monsters and defeat the boss monster that's terrorizing the realm. The role of Dungeon Master passes from player to player with each turn so that everyone gets to be part of the storytelling. Okay, so we know now it's going to be a co-op game where, you know, we'll wait. We'll get into it because our main topic for today is going to be bringing new players into the game. So we'll have a lot to say about what this is going to be. But uh, it it sounds like it's going to be, you know, an interesting $25 uh, entry point into into D&D. So I'm looking forward to buying it, playing it, seeing 
uh, how it plays and then analyzing the heck out of it um, for how to better bring new players into the game because I know it's something that's always on my mind, something that's always on Teos's mind. Um, we want this hobby to grow and to bring in new players, you need to really think about uh, not just what's the best way to present it, but what's the best way to present it for different audiences. Yeah, and I'm always curious how much has of this uh, revolves around the movie that uh, has, you know, the data has been pushed out several times. And so for years, D&D has been, I think, thinking like, well, the movie, you know, and you want to tie things to movies, especially products, uh, especially right. around something like D&D. And so I, sometimes I'm wondering, you know, is this an idea that they had? I have no idea, but, you know, is this an idea that they had waiting and then they go, well, I don't know, just launch it now. Uh, but it's also a really good time now when you could be asking yourself, what can we do to expand further, um, ex find new new groups of people who might have heard about it, who could be interested. And, and this is a nice way to do it. It's not D&D itself. It's like D&D. It's evocative of D&D. Uh, it's interesting that they call it, you know, fun, fast entry into the world of D&D. Um, it's always, it, I love taking apart sets like this and seeing, do they really bring you in? So we'll talk about that more. Right, right. And that's, uh, that's why we have decided for our topic today to talk about new players. And let's jump into that right now. Um, so one of the most challenging things to do as a DM or even as an experienced player is to teach D&D to a new player. Um, I've heard and I talk to many people who've heard story after story after story of someone having a bad initial experience that turns them off as a new player. And they might say, oh, I tried to play. And now 10 years later, I'm going to try again. You know, that's how long or if they even ever try again after a bad experience. Yeah. And to make it more complicated, one person's best way to learn a game is like the completely opposite way that some other person might need or want to learn the game. So, you know, this is a topic that we could spend days and days and days uh, talking about cogitating on. Um, but I, you know, I just wanted to get... First of all, you know, what's been your experience with bringing in new players? Yeah, I think it's tough. If you look at, at, I mean, guests you've had on the podcast here, uh, guests that have been on the official D&D podcast, they'll say over and over again, a very common story of like an older brother or older group of friends that they, they get to play and it's like, it's like horrible. They get killed, uh, their character dies and they have to sit watching for the rest of the time or they're pushed around by the older kids or they find this book on a shelf and they pour through and they have no idea what it is and they don't even know which, which book is this and, and it's one book out of many and maybe it's even an older edition and, and just confusion reigns, right? And, and yet somehow the game grabbed them. <laughs> Despite all these things, they end up addicted. And, and, and we've probably all had, many of us uh, older players have had that kind of situation. I think you can also now have the critical role type thing now. But it's yep. really easy for that experience to go poorly um, I think that I have seen it go very well. And when it's gone well, it's because steps were taken to specifically make it a good experience for new players. Uh, the adventure was written for that. The convention event was set up that way. The product was set up that way. And so specific things I think need to come together to get you past that kind of uh, bad story that we're used to hearing about. Yeah. And so, as we mentioned earlier, over the years, D&D &D has tried new and different ways to bring players into the game through products. And 
uh, going back to the earliest history of D&D, uh, there was a basic D&D and an advanced D&D split uh, during first edition days. And the the ironic part, which Teos notes in the show note, is that really neither one was easy to understand. Uh, they were basic D and D was it was a little bit less cumbersome than a D and D, but it wasn't easy by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, so to call it basic, but to have it be so uh, so complicated anyway was was kind of a an ironic twist to the whole uh, split. And Teos, do you want to touch on over the years uh, what attempts have been made? Yeah, it's kind of shocking if you look into it. You know, I, I'm a bit of a collector, and so I, I, I buy a lot of these kinds of things. And, and when it's there are products that you, you miss when you don't think about them. So, like uh, the Red Box is thought of as being a very successful introductory set, and, and a lot of people, older people, started with this version of D&D. It's kind of famous as the Red Box and the Big Red Dragon picture. Uh, but it it is a story-heavy attempt to bring people into the game in kind of an unusual format that we tend to forget about and not talk about, where it's kind of like you make choices as you go. It's almost choose-your-own-adventurous kind of thing. Uh, and one of the benefits is that you can play it when you just have, you know, a DM and a player. Or you can mm -hmm. kind of walk yourself through it, many of us did. Um, mm -hmm. If you go to third edition, there's a surprising number of introductory products that never really registered on a super huge scale. Probably the best one was this. It was called Basic Game. So, you know, you'll see the words mm -hmm. get reused over and over again. Um, right. And the Basic Game, in fact, uh, they had before the Basic Game, they had the Adventure Begins Here, which is the same language as this new set that's being released. Adventure Begins is the name of the new yep. set coming out in October. So third edition had the Adventure Begins Here. Uh, and it had very similar words. Everything you need to start playing is here. And a lot of these things, what they did is they gave you dice, you know, a set of dice, some minis or chits, uh, cardboard kind of tokens, pre-made characters, a dungeon map or tiles, and a short adventure that's supposed to introduce you to it. And I would say almost always the adventure was what I would call lacking. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like not, yeah. not great for what this was supposed to do. Uh, it might be just super combat heavy or it might be confusing or just not a great story not very engrossing uh right. 4e had the starter set it had power cards and it mimicked the red box even in color and in look mm -hmm. uh and it featured a booklet that was a solo play choose your own adventure where you're in the middle of a caravan attack by goblins or bandits i forget i think goblins and it asks you you know what do you do do you like try to hide do you try to do you run forward do you like you know concentrate on your inner power or something and that would decide what class you were in your build and all kinds of things like this even the fourth edition adventure system games or dungeon command often tried to be a sort of other gateway other type of game fifth edition had the stranger things box set now it has this adventure begins yep yeah and each as you said like each tried to do something but it never quite captured the entirety of the game or or the experience that a new player would need to to get um comfortable really yeah. with the game it seems and you know part of that is because dnd is and other role-playing games are unique in that they you need a game master right you need a dungeon master to to run the thing so to buy a, an introductory thing, but not either 
be a dungeon master with the players or be a player without the dungeon master uh, already puts you behind the eight ball in terms of showing what a, a D&D session is going to be like. And and so that that's always that's always one of those challenges. Yeah, it's uh, true. It, it, if it doesn't feel well, if you play this game, this introductory game, and then you sit down for your first session and it's actually different, you, know, you may have actually lost instead of gained. Right, right. And if you if you uh, let the players know in the introductory session that this is going to be an experience that's different than what a regular D and D game might be and, and sort of tell them how without going into too much detail. Yeah. Um, because as we talk about, you know, some, some best practices or some pitfalls of first games, you know, we'll, we'll talk about sort of expectations versus um, giving too much versus giving too little and, and, and all those uh, aspects of, of teaching really. So not only have there been products over the years, but there's also been, you know, convention play as a means of introducing new players. So do you want to talk, touch on those briefly, yeah, I think especially it, your experiences of them? Sure. So I think third edition really started uh, to, to do this for players where it said, okay, let's have some kind of quick offering of D&D that players can just sort of jump into if they're new. And uh, what, what I think folks like David Noonan and others at, at TSR slash wizards came up with was the, the idea of the delve and the delve you and I have talked about this a lot extensively uh, was just this idea of jump in get a pre-gen or a character you bring and you slay as many things as possible get through to the end uh, and you may not finish kind of thing and it could be actually quite hard um, mm -hmm. I didn't I was not a fan of those because I think it was very story poor and mm -hmm. very combat heavy and mechanically inclined um, I didn't, when I played them, because I would practically try to just see what the event is like or run them, I didn't see people come away as feeling great. And what I actually saw the most was people who, who just wanted a quick D&D fix, but were already, were not new players. Uh, so I don't right. think it really worked well. Uh, when yeah. you and I had an opportunity to, to change this up, we came up with the, what, what was seen at the event, uh, Confrontation at Candlekeep. Uh, that ran at, at Gen Con and PAX at the beginning of 5th edition D&D Next. And that was, I think, very successful in that players really responded to that. New players were, were excited, were, were playing, you know, they were turned into fans. I've heard from people who said, you know, I started with that. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think those, those original Delves, they, they tried to do too much with them. They tried to make them an intro to new players, but also this super hard D and D and hard mode thing for for you know seasoned players, yeah. and th those two things don't mix yeah. uh, at all. So that that was that was odd. And then with um, with the expansion of organized play campaigns over the years and D and D the D and D encounters uh, program that ran for fourth edition and partly for D and D next. That was a, another way to introduce the game to new players who are actually playing the game, not playing some different version of yeah. D and D. I thought that was very successful um, in, in one part because the encounter was so simple. It was about a page or two you might read for a, for a session. Uh, and it was a short event. 
It meant it was very easy to schedule at gaming stores. Uh, DMs could prepare it really easy. Like I would ride my exercise bike and read over the adventure, right? Like just right. super simple. You don't have to overthink it. And you show up and you run and you play. And players could come in and out. They could try it for a week and not come back or come back two weeks later. Or some of them would come and just be, you know, now I want to DM. Um, mm -hmm. And that was a very effective program that ran for many years successfully. I thought it was great. Yeah. And, and that's one thing that we haven't even touched on yet, but we could have a separate discussion on that is getting new DMs. Yeah. Right. Because the game runs on the back of DMs. Yeah. Um, so you can have all the new players in the world, but if you don't have DMs to run for them, it doesn't really matter. So that, that encounters, setup was a great way to teach player or people how to dm because as you said it was short uh pretty well laid out uh adventure the 4e rules were pretty good for uh i think for new dms as well because it was much more mechanical uh or, or the the mechanics were much easier to to get into at least that, yeah. in my experience everything was on the page right so it's easy yep. a monster was what it was it was right there in the stat block and you could do that yep. yeah and there was a lot of tactics that would be described on the page there was room for that uh so the dm could see exactly how the writer the designer the developer uh wanted the advent wanted the encounter to run yeah. so and they had great yeah. authors write these uh you know really really good people you wrote for them uh eric scott to be right all kinds of good authors would write these sessions and so even though they, the counter might be simple it would have interesting interesting things mm -hmm. to it that would engage players of any experience level brand new or not they, they got into what was happening in that session um, mm -hmm. And a lot was done with that simple format to make it an interesting experience from role playing to combat to tactics. The other thing is yeah. it often came with a kit, especially early mm -hmm. on, a really nice kit for the whole store yeah. that would involve minis for the DM to use. It would involve, you know, maps and things, uh, really mm -hmm. pretty double sided maps they could use from the dungeon tile series. So that made the experience engrossing and it meant that someone walking to the store saw like you know three or four or even more tables running this thing and what's going on how do i become part of that you know it's really good right it it looks organized yeah, it really <laughs> the is. play yeah. looks organized right because you yeah. like you said you walk into even a small store like the ones in my area you'd walk in and the whole store there might only be three or four tables but the whole store was playing it yeah. you know and and you could hear one DM read this bit of box text and a few seconds later, this other DM was yeah. reading the same thing. And it, it made, it made it feel like a community. Yeah. Um, and, and that's important too, right. For new players to understand that, that they're walking into something that's, that's, that's cool. That's yeah. that lots of people want to do. And that can make a big difference as opposed to being stuck in the corner at this dark table while everyone else is playing magic, you know, and, and being stuck over here with, you know, scrawled out maps on a piece of blank paper. And, and it was, you know, it was welcoming, right? It came with, with all this, the, the kits would come with the like tents, full color tents that the store could put up or posters, uh, clings that would go on the outside windows of the shop. So you knew like, hey, every week on this day, there is going to be D&D played here and you can just show up and play, right? And it was very clear welcoming versus before that, you know, the days that I would go to like a D&D gaming store and try to find a group, you'd go to like a pegboard and there would be like index cards with a phone number and some DM and you just have no idea what you're going to get into. 
-hmm. And this was yeah. like a, you know, essentially a vetted program, right? It's got a, an organizational right. structure to it and, and good adventures and common rules. And yeah, it was great. Yep. So, uh, let's talk for a minute now, you know, we've talked about kind of the big picture, but let's break it down to you are a DM and you have friends who want to play. They may have heard of it. They may have seen some streaming, uh, but they don't know much. What is the best way to introduce those new players? How do you go about it? What are some tips for doing it well? And what are some uh, caveats about avoiding uh, doing it poorly? Well, you had a and one, sports analogy, uh, right? I, I thought that yeah. was kind of good. And, and that's, you know, I grew up playing sports and then I, became a coach and was teaching sports. So, you know, teaching can be done in a lot of different ways. But when I think of teaching activities, I always think of finding a way to do the activity while you're teaching, even if you're not engaged in the full activity. So if you think about baseball, uh, baseball is back in session. Yay. Uh, go. I don't even go sports team. I don't have a favorite baseball. I've played the game. Yes, you've heard of that. So if you're going to teach somebody to play baseball, the worst thing you could do is set down the you know Abner Doubleday rule book for baseball and tell them to read it because it's just you, you're, you lose any interest yeah. at that point. They can watch the game, but that really doesn't help them become good at the aspects of the game. What, what do you do if you're teaching someone baseball? You go outside, you play catch yeah. to start with. And then, so they can hold the glove, they can hold the ball, they learn to throw. Uh, then it's time to learn to hit. You don't you know, take them and throw 90-mile-an-hour fastballs at them and say, okay, swing away. You, you have them hit off a tee to, I... to learn how to swing. And then you gently toss them the ball, which they hit into like a net. Uh, but they're getting, they can you know, get their hand-eye coordination. Um, you're not, you're not out. You don't even have to be out on the field to do this, but they're learning aspects of it. So can I, can I, I interject feel like here? I you feel sure like I have, have to, uh, we may have played the world's weirdest improvised game of baseball this weekend at the beach with my kids. Uh, my <laughs> nice. son came up with it and, and you know, life is changing these days. Kids are not like we are. So my kids may not know much about baseball. Uh, witness by talking to my dad or my, my, my son said to me, dad, uh, why don't you be the first whacker? There you go. That's, right? like, to go at bat, be the whacker. And I laughed so hard. I'm like, oh man, generations are so different these days. Just... That's, I'm, I have to use that some, yeah. somewhere. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely different. But, you know, learning small things about the game that are still a part of the overall whole yeah. are important. And so that lesson can sort of be given to a game so what you think about what are the fun aspects for players of dnd well rolling dice right the dice are awesome yeah. the dice you can buy dice with cool colors you can buy digital dice you can do all of these things so a big part of the game is are is rolling those dice so your first session you want them to roll the dice uh what are some other things yeah, I think that's really critical. And it reminds me of uh, Chris Tulak, who used to head up Organized Plan, uh, Organized Play before Chris Lindsay. He designed in fourth edition uh, an adventure based off of an, another adventure that existed. He basically created an experience for new players. 
And what he did is he, he rewrote sort of what happened in the first rooms of this dungeon so that it would slowly get you into the game. And the very first thing you did was just make everybody in the party made a skill check. Mm-hmm. And then you fought a very easy thing where basically it's almost like everybody's just getting in an attack roll and right. it's going to be defeated. And then you could play more normally, right? And right. I think of it as that way. And I also think of it as sort of, if you look at the character sheet, I think character sheets are generally terrible for new players. Mm-hmm. Like if you just look at any, almost any character sheet, you just, you're overwhelmed and you don't know what's more important. And, and certainly it doesn't tell you who you are as a character or how you're different from another person at the table at a glance. And so if you look at this general character sheet, there's sort of zones and the fifth edition character sheet sort of has boxes around them, right? There's the skill area and there's the saving throw area. And so if you think of that as different lessons to hit in iteratively, so like start with a skill check, hey, that whole area in your character sheet, those are the skills. We're going to do one of them. All right, everybody got that. Now you kind of know as a new player where your skills are. And then you can move to another section of the character sheet, right? That's one way to do it. Yeah, and and that's you know that's a very important thing is that progression of knowledge, where you're not, you you may hit them with ten rules the first session, but hit them with one rule at a time rather than hitting them with all ten at once. Yeah. Uh, when when fifth edition came out, I wanted so much to create an adventure where the character sheet was this folding piece of paper, so you would start with just a quarter of the sheet, and it would just have your attributes. Yeah. So you would, like, like you said, you wake up, you don't know who, where you are, you don't know who you are, you have amnesia, but you know that you have to jump over this stream. All right, give me a strength uh, check. So here's your strength. This is what it means. And then as, after that first thing, you can unfold your sheet. Oh, your, your memory's starting to come back. Oh, you know that you uh, are really smart and you have a lot of knowledge you know that you're very dexterous oh look you uh have skills with acrobatics you know when you unfold that sheet that now you're unfolding that that next set of things and i think it would have been so awesome if i had had any uh, sort of ability to follow through on on these things Um, (laughs) i love the idea yeah and so if you can do that with you know the folding sheet is obviously a visual aid to help with that process but you know, even just covering part of the character sheet to start with, or blocking it out, or handing them one sheet with just one section, then handing them the next sheet with the next section yeah. uh, filled in, just would would help immensely. Are we doing uh, it? I mean, I loved. Uh, there was that special acquisitions incorporated event that ran at PAX during the Storm uh, Cloud Giant and the Storm King's Thunder. <laughs> there we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, during that year and it had a redesigned character sheet that was one page and up at the top it just sort of started with what you do right and it was and it was it was humorous it said things like for the fighter would say like you hit things with your sword yeah. you know you get in between your buddies and the bad stuff right it was right. that kind of language but it was very good because right up front it was sort of telling you here's what your goals are and, right. and your sort of way of doing it and then it had very simple boxes for the important stuff and it took away a lot of the clutter and right. I've seen Merrick Blackman has created some versions of character sheets for conventions. You know, that kind of approach can really help. So it's worth thinking about yeah. that for new players. Right. And, and it, it sounds so, kind of sort of silly and flippant, but if you've run games for new players, you have inevitably come across the player who says, Ooh, I want to play the wizard takes the wizard. And then the first thing they do is run up and stab things yeah. with their dagger. And, and while they certainly should be allowed to do that, they need to learn at some point that 
that's not the optimal approach. Um, if you want to run up and hit things with your dagger or hit things with a weapon, do I have a class for you? Yeah. You know, that's over here. Well, and I think so, magic is tough because spells are so complex. You know, mm -hmm. you could spend five minutes reading over the stuff that's like the range and the, you know, just right. that, that statistical bit at the top of the spell can tie right. you up in the middle of the game trying to figure out what to do with that. And you haven't even gotten to the yep. spell text. You get to the spell text, it's like this person needs a half hour to just understand magic missile, right? But magic right. missile is actually very simple. But yeah. the game doesn't present it that way. And so for a new player, that's one of the things that I think often falls short, especially convention experiences for any type of game where things like spells are not something a, a person can just pick up and use easily when they don't know the system. Right. And so if they do play that spellcaster, the character sheet needs to break it down for, okay, you're going to cast uh, Sacred Flame. Yeah. This is, this is what happens. Yeah. A flame shoots down from the sky and hits something within six, 10 squares of you. Boom, it's done. Uh, so what else do pe players like um, about D&D that you can highlight in a first session? Uh, I think choices are, are important to separate this is a board game from this is a role-playing game uh, because some players, even though they understand what D&D is, they're still locked in a board game mentality where you say, okay, there is an orc between you and where you're trying to go. What do you do? And they just freeze because they can do anything, but it, there's still mechanics involved. So, you know, giving them a choice shows that there's a difference between a, between a role-playing game and a board game. You just don't want to overdo that. It's more like giving them two or three options mm -hmm. where they can see that I can hit it or I can talk to it, but not this, what do you do? And then just leave them hanging out there with, uh, with so many options and they don't quite know what they're good at for right. as, as a character. Yeah. I think when, when you're creating the, the experience, writing an adventure, coming up with something around the session, you want to keep it short. You want to keep, keep it fun and you want it to have, that sort of cinematic feel. And, and, and if you think about movies, movies have to telegraph what's happening to the audience, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so that it's that same kind of thing you're talking about with choices where usually heroes are responding to situations. And you can even, uh, if you were to hit pause on the movie, you could see that there's like actually an A or B or C. Mm -hmm. uh, because of the way it's visually created or in a novel, the things that are described. And then you as a reader are right along there with the hero following as they make this choice. And, and players come to D&D wanting that as well, right? They mm -hmm. want to be in their movie, in their novel, and they want it to be cool like that. And if you just say, what do you do? They're like, well, I have no basis for this. But if mm -hmm. you say, you know, there's the lever on the wall and that door's slowly closing, what do you want to do? Right now they have a choice, yeah. right? Or, or there's the skeleton right. coming at you. So you've got three things, you know, what do you, what do you yep. go with? Yep. And, you know, those clues aren't just for those and or, th but they're, you know, you're facing this orc, his sword is covered in blood, but he has a look in his eye like he's confused, mm -hmm. right? Now you've, you've at least introduced them to this choice of, yes, this orc is deadly, but he or she is also a 
a living thinking creature right. that you can interact with in a different way. Right. Yeah. And I, uh, I think for new players, you can never be too easy. Uh, oh, for right? sure. Like, like you don't, you don't need gotcha traps. Really what you actually want is, is almost like what your gut is, is the right way to solve it and turn it off. Like that's more yep. rewarding. The player, you want them to feel like heroes and time and time again, when I've had really good new player experiences, it's because the players are like, yes, right. High five. Mm-hmm. We did it. We, and it doesn't have to be a huge accomplishment for that feeling to come across. Right. Right. Yeah. And like you said, it's the door is closing and you see a lever. Right. The obvious thing is to pull the lever mm-hmm. to stop the door from closing, but they feel so cool because that's not something you do in a board game. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, that's a, that's something that you can only do in D and D even video games have a hard time uh, getting that right because sometimes they're so fast that there, there isn't that time to think about it. So, yeah. The other thing I think a lot of players I know love about D and D is the randomness of it is that you never quite know what's going to happen. You know, in monopoly, you're going to roll the dice. You're going to move between one and six squares uh, or, you know, whatever the die roll is. You can't go outside of that Uh, for the randomness of D and D people love wands of wonder. People love wild magic. They love the deck of many things. They love rolling on charts and having these wild things happen. And so if 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 you know that your player is not uh, opposed to such things, then using those tables uh, to bring randomness to the game and still having the game make sense and still having the game flow uh, in a way that's pleasing, if you can do all of that, then you can often have a player for life after that. Yeah, it's true. I, I remember this uh, that Blingdon Stone adventure that ran uh, with D&D Next rules. You're in this gnomish yep. land helping the the this Neplin, uh out of these various predicaments. And there's a part where uh, there's a tunnel and you just roll for a random thing. And this mm-hmm. player, I've told the story before, but this, I love this thing. This, this player had kind of been telling everybody what to do. We're going here, we're going there. And everybody was like, yeah, fine, cool, you're the leader. And so I said, well, you've been making the decisions you roll what comes up and i said if you roll it was a d10 roll if you roll a 10 you know zero you're going to trigger possibly really crazy thing so it rolls it in front of everybody 10 i'm like oh okay and everybody's excited right if you roll a 10 again it's going to be like the worst thing possible like i'm just warning you guys there's some bad stuff on this table rolls a 10 and everybody's just going crazy right like oh my god right and it's this purple worm burrows underneath the whole group and mm-hmm. it's an actual purple worm. They're not going to fight it, but it's going to eat somebody or multiple people and then vanish right. back down below. It's like an instant death situation. Everybody gets a saving throw. Only that player fails. <laughs> and we all concluded it was just absolutely perfect, right? Just this person's been uh-huh. calling all the shots. Gets, and, and they loved it, right? They had a blast. Right. <laughs> everybody yeah. did. Right. And, and that's what the, you know, the, the you won't believe the odds of this happening yeah. story seem to happen an awful lot. <laughs> Uh, for D and D players yeah, for some reason. Yeah. Uh, so we've, t- we've covered things to, to add to the game. Uh, you know, make sure they're getting the die rolls, go slowly with introducing the rules, some things to possibly avoid um, when you're introducing new players. The one that comes up the most for me 
especially if if the players don't know each other when they sit down, is avoiding player versus player conflict, mm-hmm. conflict between party members. Um, I know for some people that's fun, but a lot of times it's fun for people who know each other already or who have a good handle on the game itself. Um, a lot of people don't like personal conflict, uh, even in their games. So don't set them up uh, in the adventure to make, have to make a choice that they're going to argue about uh, yeah. because I've seen that drive away many, a, many a player. And I would say that when you're running for new players, it's okay to break that wall and say to the players up front, like, I'm going to speak to you as a person whenever that's mm-hmm. necessary, right? Like a lot of right. times I'm going to be in character. We're going to be in the moment, but I might at times break out and say, Hey, hold on folks. Let's rethink yeah. this and, and, and set, set that expectation early on. And right. that's a case where then you want to step in and say, Hey, not everybody likes this kind of play. And in fact, I don't like this kind of play. I don't think it's good when we're starting out. We could later delve into these things. If there's an interest, we can play around with this, you mm-hmm. know, an arena and you're all mind controlled or it's a test or, you know, it's a lot of games, whatever. We can have some competition, but right now we are a team, right? We're all allied and and bring it back and and defuse that situation. And, and a lot of players may come to the game, have heard hearing stories about DMS who, who are overly, uh, you know, overly dictatorial or the opposite where they just, they're neutral and they just let the players do whatever. And, like with anything in life, whether it's like business meetings or teachers or, or uh, whatever, the, the people who are counting on you want to know, want to know that you're in charge. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to know that you have a firm handle on things without necessarily, you know, rocks fall, everybody dies being that sort of person, but just taking control of the situation as the DM is, is super important. One of my favorite rules for this or approaches for this is, is to assume that you can pause the action and, and, and whenever you want. Uh, it's almost like you're, you're at, at the controller for a movie filming thing, you know, like in bullet time. So you can just pause it and you can rotate the camera and explain to everybody. And then you can hit resume whenever you want. And I use this a lot when somebody is taking a course of action that's going to cause trouble and we probably all know it, right? I'm gonna murder mm-hmm. the guard, right? right. I'm gonna steal yeah. the king's crown, right? Mm-hmm. Things that are just gonna spin us all out of control if they go through. And so what I'll do is I'll, I'll kind of say, all right, I'm gonna hit pause. Mm-hmm. You see that the rogue is kind of thinking about stealing the king's crown. Well, how do you all feel about this, right? And so that gives, we're, mm-hmm. we're paused. You're not taking action. Just how are you? And, right. and so that gives a chance for the players to say, that's a bad idea, right? right? And then the player starts thinking, yeah, maybe I don't want to do it. And so, okay, so you see all your friends looking at you going like, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that right. lets people rethink things. And then we can unpause the action and resume once we've kind of had some time to think about it and talk about it. Right, yeah. And and yeah, like you said, you can you can say, for some people, the sort of chaos is fun, right? Th- there's a type of player, uh, the instigator, yeah. right, who, who wants this story to be chaotic. And there's a place for that. Now is not the place for that. Um, we, maybe after we learn the rules, maybe after we get higher level, then we can talk more about that. 
Yeah, and I think uh, with young players especially, you can see mm -hmm. players want to murder everything because one of the right. great things about role-playing games is this absolute freedom to do things you can't do in real life. And there are, there are a number of types of kids that will embrace that as in like, oh, there's a mystery in town, like who are the evil cultists? Well, let's just go to a shop and murder everybody there because it might be them. Mm -hmm. And this is, they know that's not something you do in real life, but because this is right. a fantasy world and they're aware of that, murderizing right. everything seems like a kind of cool exercise of their abilities. And so you have to, well, let's think about this, you know? Yeah. Pause. And, and, you know, Im immature people look for boundaries, yeah. right? And sometimes the immature people are 12. Sometimes the immature people are 72. Uh, it doesn't age sometimes correlates, but it doesn't necessarily correlate. Uh, and so if, when you see that sort of behavior, be the boundary, you know, yeah. set that boundary so they know. And most of the time they may grumble about it. Oh, you can't tell me what to do this. Uh, but in the long run, most people will appreciate that. Yeah. They'll respect that you are, that you are beholden to the responsibility of running a good game and a game that's going to yep. last. And, and so, and, and it's okay to explain that too. Like, Hey, I'm going to make some decisions sure. sometimes that individually one or two might not like, but it's so that we have a good game across yep. many sessions. And right. And, and another thing to avoid, which goes along with this is a lack of direction in the game. Uh, so giving choices is good, but sometimes players need, need to be eased into those choices. Um, so, you know, you don't want to say you're in the tavern um, and what do you do, right? You want to give them at least channels to focus on. And that does usually help avoid that sort of what do you want to do while I start murdering everybody in the tavern, right? If, they, if you give them clues about you see this strange person or you see this opportunity, you, they still have that choice but they don't have a lack of direction that would otherwise be there. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the other thing that I wanted, wanted to mention was don't overly complicate the rules for, for new people. Uh, learn in steps like we've already talked about, things like opportunity attacks or using missile weapons while engaged in melee combat. They're fun to consider for tactical players, but those lessons can wait for later because as the more time you spend talking about rules the less time people are engaged with the story uh, so try to that those are lessons that can be learned later yeah for sure uh, and, and the last thing uh that make it epic was was your bullet so i wanted to give you that one <laughs> yeah i mean people want to play this heroic fantasy game so give them that right don't give them i you know we, we laugh about rats in the cellar but don't give them something so mundane that when they come home, you know, to whoever they hang out with, that they don't have a story to tell. Like it, it should be worth mm -hmm. telling. And those, uh, and it can, it doesn't have to be super insane high fantasy, but it can just be things like there was a bear that was going to attack us and I was able to talk it down. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but the more that it matters, the more that players are likely to be excited about it. And I think that's why Candlekeep was a good event. You know, they were mm -hmm. really playing a big role in erecting the wards that would save Candlekeep. Uh, and at right. the end, they fought a dragon. Uh, they did it together with a lot of other tables in a convention format, but it was a really cool event and that sold them on right. the game and it led them to doing really exciting things at the table and that kind of yeah. thing, right? So make it, make it epic, make it interesting uh, right from the start so that it's a, it's a neat 
experience for them that they want to talk about and dream about and recall. Right. Because they weren't just fighting a dragon, right? They were fighting a dragon on the rooftop towers of Candlekeep as the dragon flew from spire to spire to spire, where sometimes they were riding the dragon around. Uh, So it doesn't have to be a dragon, but just make the visual, right? If you're, if you're describing it, in in movie terms make it memorable right if yeah. it's going to be rats in the cellar make the put the rats there on fire and and they're you know they're running through oil which is lighting and spreading around the room and you know yeah. describe it in big grand ways even if it doesn't mechanically mean anything uh those memorable episodes of adventures are what keep players coming back yeah absolutely yep And the last thing we were going to talk about, and we probably won't get too deep into it, is if you're running for the first time for, say, a home group, uh, whether it's better to have a session zero where you spend two hours creating the characters or whether you hand out pre-gens and start playing immediately. Um, There are pluses and minuses to both of those. Um, I've seen character generation sessions where people had such a great time and it was wonderful. And then they played the first session and it wasn't even, it wasn't as good as, as the character creation session. So it sort of fizzled out uh, because they didn't get into the game right away. And they had these grand ideas for their characters that didn't translate well to play. Uh, And I've, I've also seen, you know, the opposite happen where people jump in immediately, but they don't feel attached to the pre-gens. So it, it didn't feel like a grand story to them. So, how how do you like to handle those things? Yeah, I generally tend to think pre-gens are good for uh, any kind of convention event, anything where you have limited time. If you really feel like, I think a lot of it depends on what you know about your players. If you know your players are in it for the long haul mm-hmm. uh, and you think they have the patience for character generation, then I think it can be fun. What you have to be careful about is that often now you're learning the rules during character generation which can make it less attractive for people who just kind of want to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always dream of a sort of in-between, and, and this is kind of like your fold-out character sheet idea that with there. I think it would be so awesome if you could have a character sheet that has most of things filled out, but has a few blank spots that you would place stickers on based on your choices. So like, mm-hmm. you know, what type of, what, what's your subclass or what's your background or some choices like mm-hmm. that that you could make, right? Do you want to be, you know, playing a fighter. This one's a, a pirate that uses a rapier, and this is one that's, you know, sort of heavy shield armor, defensive type person. Make the choices. Mm-hmm. Who is she? Uh, here are your stickers for it. Like, I think that would be kind of a lot of fun, right? So you're making some, you're buying into what the character is, but you're not getting bogged down. And, you know, what does it mean to have a plus one to attack with a rapier versus a plus one to armor classic? Like, who cares? Just yeah. what, what's the concept you want, right? Is what, we want people to think one way the rules force mm-hmm. us to think another way. And that's the danger of character generation. Yeah, it's true. And, and I think the, the, the point to end on here and one we didn't even have down is know your players, if, if possible, right? Know what they want, because then you can tweak this introduction. If they do have a stomach for more in-depth rules discussion before playing, then you can add in a few more, uh, things that will smooth out play later whereas if they're all about the character and the story just get them in the character that they want to play uh making decisions and and a 
affecting the story that's going on in the adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Anything else you want to say on this topic before we head out? No, I think we did it. That was a good coverage. Excellent. So I want to thank everyone for listening, and I want to thank the patrons who keep the lights on here at Down With the Indie. Um, if you want to be a patron, you can support the show at patreon.com slash MMP, where you support not only us, but Misdirected Mark Productions and Pandas Talking Games. Um, if you can't help us by becoming a patron, you could give us a review on whatever media that you listen to our show on. Uh, we'd appreciate that or give us a shout out on whatever social media outlets that you use. Speaking of the social medias, uh, Teos, where are you on those you can, things? You can find me on the Twitter at alpha stream. My blog is alphastream.org, and I've been having fun on the misdirected Mark forums. Uh, I am also on those forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. Uh, Down with D&D is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So for the second time, Teos, what do you think we should do now? Let's go kill some monsters with new players. Mm-hmm. As opposed to killing new players. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Down with D and D. Who's down with D and D? Who's down with D and D? Who's down with D and D?